0: Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. And, Joe, I'm going to tee up our guests first because we've got a big show ahead of us right now. We've got UFC President Dana White on the show. We've got Colby Covington on the show. We've got Tyron Woodley on the show. We've got Gerald Mearshaw on the show. And, of course, we've got Joseph Valtellini on the show. So, uh... For the first time in a while, I've teed up our guests first. Look at me.
1: I know, last week you kind of almost missed it, and I was just, again, last time you hyped me up, and I was just going to say, I'm the most important guest of all, so that's the best. Of
0: course, absolutely. Well, how many of those guys have been glory welterweight champion? The answer is Yeah, you
1: tell them. That's right. Zero. And what's their
0: excuse? Colby and um, Tyron are both welterweights. They could have done it, but they didn't, and you did. No,
1: and they're too busy wrestling around over there, and here I am just striking winning world titles. So,
0: well, I think so I'm the
1: ultimate 170-er.
0: I think we're going to see a lot yeah. of striking in this main event. But before we get to that, let's get to the big news of the day. I don't know if you heard this because you've been at the gym, but Michael Chandler has signed with the UFC and is going to be a backup for UFC 254, the main event, Habib versus Gaethje. If anything happens, Michael Chandler's on standby. Your thoughts on Michael Chandler, the biggest free agent in a long time in the in uh, the world of MMA, signing with the UFC?
1: I actually really like it. I mean, um, from the past, I would say, 10 years um, when we've had both Bellator and UFC, the great thing is, like, Now we're seeing guys go from Bellator back into the UFC, which I think a lot of fighters that I've grown up with were kind of hesitant to go to Bellator because they were scared they couldn't make their way back to the UFC. And it just shows if you're good enough and uh, you're a hot prospect, you know, that it can go reverse. So I'm happy for Chandler. I think it mixes up the division well, adds another top contender. I think it's fun. I think it's fun to see it. So uh, I'm all in for it.
0: Well, I mean, when you think about the possibilities of Michael Chandler versus Ferguson, Michael Chandler versus Dustin Poirier, Michael Chandler versus Justin Gaethje, Michael Chandler versus Habib, there are just so many different, yep. situ- like so many different great matchups. I mean, we're talking about a division one wrestler in Chandler who uh, was a was pretty high level uh, collegiate wrestler as well, he came in you know second place in the Big 12 championships um, when he was with the Missouri Tigers. You talk about that kind of a wrestling pedigree and the kind of challenges he could pose to Khabib. MMA is all matchups. You know, we saw that uh Patricio Pitbull, or oh, sorry, Patricio Pitbull, rather, was able to beat Michael Chandler. But I just think it's a very matchup driven sport. And I think that Chandler could pose some real night- uh, nightmare matchup problems to a lot of guys in the UFC uh, lightweight division.
1: Yeah, someone who could mix it up really well, experienced, good team. He has all the attributes to do it. And I mean, I think he's now I believe he's just early 30s, which is kind of in no, fighting could mid-30s,
0: be mid 30s.
1: Mid 30s. Okay, I thought he was a little younger than that, but uh I still think he's coming in mature and He doesn't have to go through the rankings. You know, he showed himself as a a top world contender. So I know they've been talking about Ferguson. I heard that match didn't go through. But like you said, regardless, it's phenomenal fights all around. Especially lately, he's been knocking guys out and showing good striking and good power. So just fun all around.
0: I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Um, with Tony Ferguson and maybe Dana White will uh, address that later on in the show uh, you know usually I'm able to reference what happens in an interview but I haven't spoken to Dana White yet so I can't reference that you're going to have to tune in to find out what he says about yep. the status of Tony Ferguson because if Chandler is going and he's going to be the backup then what is the status of Ferguson who was supposed to fight on that card who knows I'm sure we'll have clarity by the time you're listening to this but uh, well,
1: my un- my understanding it was pouring that they were looking for obviously oh, yeah, and then right.
0: uh, something fell through well, or he, he wanted, um, Dana
1: White made a money. post I saw yeah. But I mean, Dana White said a good point. And I mean, there's different ways a fighter can kind of get out of a fight without saying no. So, I mean, Dana White kind of threw it as a jab to Poirier, I think, um, in a in a quote I read saying how some people back out of fights based on injuries and they don't want to say something. So they kind of use negotiation and money as their way out. That was Dana White's quote. Um, but who knows? Do you, do you buy that? I don't. Th- I mean, I don't know in this age anymore. I mean, we've seen John Jones, we've seen Jorge Masvidal really pull off on contracts to try to make themselves, uh, you know, um, get more money. But I don't. I don't see. I don't know. I think Poirier is a straight up guy. He's never shown that kind of um, mentality. But it wouldn't be a bad thing if he did that too. He means he might need a break. He might have an injury that he doesn't want let people know. So I don't think it's a bad thing. Regardless, I just think it's part of the game. To
0: be honest with you, well, Ariel Helwani just said that uh, the UFC offered Dustin Poirier the Michael Chandler fight, uh, but the the issue of pay remained the same. And uh, yeah. interesting, interesting uh, turn of events. Now, I mean, you you add Chandler to the mix, and now suddenly you've got a whole other cog.
1: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a veteran move.
0: Like, you're not going to come out and
1: say you can't take a fight. I'm sure there might be personal reasons, and a lot of times you just don't want the UFC knowing what the real reason behind the injury or or something is at that point. And that's a veteran move. I mean, that's good negotiation tactics. And I'm sure down the show we'll talk about another veteran move by Ed Herman.
0: Yeah, you know, Ed Herman's getting a lot of flack for that, and I, you know, Dana White called it a very dirty move. I'm sure that the decision is probably going to get overturned as well. But at the same time, you know, I can't blame the guy for doing what he did, honestly. I mean, it's, it's kind of a wily veteran move. And while, you know, you see a lot of fighters say, you know, I don't really respect that and, and, and everything. But you've got to remember, this is a pro- one of the problems with this sport is that you get your show and you get your win. So if would you do something like that if you're going to be getting an extra $75,000? Like, just hypothetically, like, in that moment, if you, if you know the ref has made a mistake and they give you a timeout... You didn't ask for it, but the ref gives it to you. In that situation, Joe, are you taking that time out, knowing what's at stake financially?
1: Yeah, of course I am. I mean, even if there was no money on the line, the the will to win is everything for us athletes and fighters. So, I mean, if I can get away with it, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think Ed Herman should get any negative attention towards it at all. Like, I mean, I think if anything, it would have been stupid for him not to play it up that way. It was the referee's fault, not his. Uh, you know, decision to do that. So I think it was the referee. That's where I feel like the sport could evolve. It's 2020. We have video cameras and replay. I think at these times, we just got to be more open to using that replay.
0: Yeah, but the, I don't know what the rule is with the replay. Like, I think the replay, I think when you go to a replay, the fight has to be over. And I'm not sure yeah. if Nevada has changed that or not. That's something I might ask Dana later on, just like how are they going to change instant replay? Because that whole situation I think could have been avoided. But then what happens if you go back to the replay and you realize it's not a foul, do you call the fight and just say that uh um, Mike Rodriguez wins like is, is that something you would do that that's the part that's confusing because you know when you go back to the tape in uh football or hockey you can say okay no goal or okay that's a first down but in fighting you know what what can you do right like what, what what at that point what can you do if you are the UFC and you look at the replays you call it a no contest because the fight was stopped but then then again, you're still robbing Mike Rodriguez of his win money, right? So well, I mean, what do you do? You just,
1: it's, you just check it off. I mean, I just think I don't see why you can't have – we have all these monitors cage side. We have all this opportunity and technology. It's not a big deal for, in my mind for the referee to have someone who's watching camera. And even if he has someone in his ear just saying something, you know? I mean, just to say, hey, that knee wasn't. And then he can kind of go from there. I can't – it's a very difficult position. The stress, the angle, the referees in. There's so many options and different things that can happen. So to have someone on the outside kind of telling you no, yes, no, I don't think it's a big deal. And I mean, okay, if you quickly checked, all right, you stop the fight for 30 seconds. You quickly check, hey, no, that wasn't it. That's a TKO. The fight's over or deduct points. But I just think or they have to use right that. You replay. don't give the
0: guy five minutes to recover. You say, okay, we're back on. Yeah, absolutely.
1: There's there's just options. I don't think. It makes sense not to use the technology we have to make sure one the fighters are are getting the right results and getting that bonus and that win bonus we talk about all the time. So I don't know. I just think it's weird in 2020 that we just can't use the the, the information we have.
0: Absolutely. Uh, well, we we uh, saw Angela Lee. or sorry, Ange- uh, Angela Hill. Angela Lee is in one championship. Angela Hill uh, dropped her second straight split decision. I thought she won both of those fights. But uh, she drops a a split decision to Michelle Watterson. And Michelle Watterson raised a good point after the fight. She said, right now, you know, Nina Ansarov's having a baby. Tatiana Suarez is injured. There's a bit of a window to sneak in to the title mix at uh, at 115 pounds. But I don't know if you can do it when you win controversially like that or you win a, a very close decision.
1: Yeah, it just sucks for Angela. I just feel like she's been on, you know, some very tough, you know, sides of split decision losses. So, I mean, I thought she did great. She looked confident. I, I personally, I mean, I can't really over because in my mind, I agree with most people is coming down to that fifth round, and I could be biased because I know Angela, but I thought she did enough in that fifth round to win, and uh, it's just sad to see someone who's done so much in the sport kind of get derailed like that, especially they rank her so low in the division, too, and she just does so well against the top in the division, which is, you know, uh, surprising she's ranked that low, but, I mean, it's just disappointing for her. I hope it doesn't if anything, I hope it keeps her, you know, getting those top five or bigger fights because I don't think it should move her down after a performance like that.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, well, we've got uh, a big event this weekend. You got Tyron Woodley, Colby Covington. I'm interested to see how this one goes. You know, I spoke to both of these men, and you'll you'll hear the interviews later on in the show. It seems that. Uh, woodley is is really taking or sorry Covington is taking Woodley very seriously. He, he sees that he's a big favorite, but he doesn't believe that it's necessarily representative of the skill level of Tyron Woodley. He's giving Woodley a lot of credit, and it was refreshing to hear him talk that way and then uh, I spoke to Woodley, and Woodley seems like he's in a really good place mentally it's you know it seems like a lot of, that he he was going through a lot of stuff it sounds like uh outside of fighting while he was the champion. And it seems like now, you know, he went to Thailand for a bit. He's he's kind of gotten rid of a lot of the distractions that he had towards fighting and really rededicated himself to that craft. Um, however, I think that a loss for Woodley would be pretty devastating to his legacy. You know, if he loses three in a row, he's lost, lost to Usman. He's lost 10 rounds in a row right now. Right now, he has yeah. lost 10 straight rounds. If he loses another five straight rounds to Covington, uh, or he gets finished or anything along those lines... I, I just think that uh, it's going to be a very, very tough pill for him to swallow and that his legacy is really going to be tarnished because you look at who he beat when he was the champion. And a lot of those were really positive stylistic matchups. you got low-volume output with Steven Thompson. You've got uh, Demon Maya whose best path is submission, uh, and, and Tyron was much better than him on the feet, and that showed during their fight. Uh, Darren Till was a little bit green at the time, and, and Woodley was able to take advantage of that. He was just a more complete fighter and didn't have to go five rounds. Then suddenly you got bring Usman and Burns in, higher pace fighters, higher-output fighters, fighters with really good grappling, uh, paired with really good striking. And that's something that I think Covington fits the mold of as well. He's had a lot of problems. Do you agree with that? Do you think that, that Woodley's uh, overall legacy could be affected really poorly if he does lose this fight?
1: Yeah, I would think so because... When you always hear about me, you always kind of compare him to kind of GSP because they'll say outside of GSP, he's probably one of the more dominant welterweights, you know, we've had in the UFC. So, I mean, I think it does because you look at a lot of the bigger guys leaving the sport. They don't leave on that, you know, three, four fight losing streak and we've recently seen it with gsp and now daniel cormier even though he lost his last one it's still not going out with three four losses like that and i know woodley's really proud um he's really confident in himself so i just think it would really affect it to be honest and and let's be honest nobody really wants to go out losing like this um, that many fights in a row but he's fighting good guys who are in their prime i mean maybe woodley 10 years ago would probably you know be a lot more competitive at the time but Um, the age catches up to you in this sport. I mean, these young guys, the Colbys, the Uzmans, are relentless, the pressure, they're not scared to get hit. And I mean, that's where I think Colby's going to have that advantage, where he's just going to pressure and not really care. Uh,
0: And then you look at uh, Hamza Shemaev versus Gerald Mirshart. That's um, uh, a really interesting fight, given that Shemaev is kind of a super prospect who's doing something unique. He's fighting in two divisions at once. You don't see that very often with fighters. Um, So... What, what do you take away from Chemayev?
1: Well, like I keep saying, uh, this is going to be his, you know, one of his first real tests for me. I mean, I want to see someone he's big, you know, uh, Gerald's big, he's strong, he's in a big weight class, he's good with his jiu So I think it'll be, you know, I wouldn't say the best test for him, but I still think it'll be a good, strong test for him to see. And I think a win here would kind of earn him a little bit more respect in my eyes and i think a lot of other people in the community because no one really rates his first two wins based on his opponents i mean from the outside if you're you know maybe a casual fan or someone who just looks at the stats and thinks about how incredible it is which it is but i mean if you're coming and calling out the big boys you got to fight some bigger names uh and do well against those bigger names before you talk about title shots and fighting the big guys
0: yeah, well, that's this weekend it's idea. either going to be pump the brakes or it's going to be all systems go. Because if he's able to get through Miercarts in the way that he got through his other opponents, um, I think that that's going to be a massive, massive statement for him. Uh, that being said, if Miercarts gives him some trouble, even if he ends up beating Miercarts, it might be time to pump the brakes a little bit. You know, yeah. let let the guy develop a little bit more, fight lower level competition. But you've got this guy Chimaev coming out in interviews and saying he wants to fight the best, the best. He's going to be a two division yeah. champion. You know, when you have guys talking a big game like that. Um, and backing it up with performance, that's how Conor McGregor's are built. You know, that's how fighters uh, end up really making a name for themselves by calling their shots, by 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 calling their shots and then, and then beating the guys that they're calling out in dominant fashion. You know, once you start doing that, that's when you start getting the eyeballs. And, uh, you know, a lot of the fighters, they always say that, you know, and, and Sean O'Malley has said this, you know, winning – is the best thing he can is the only thing that he can do to raise his profile to where he wants it to be. You know, if he no matter how many shirts he sells, no matter how many Twitch subscribers he has, he knows that winning is always going to be the thing that elevates his profile to a higher level. Now he hit a stumbling block against Cheeto Vera last time, so Chimaev, we need to see what this guy's all about this weekend. And you've also got a co-main event: Nico Price versus Cowboy Cerrone. Cerrone's lost, I believe, it's four in a row now. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think Cerrone might still be the better fighter than Nico price, but Nico has looked really good in his last couple fights.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's not crazy the odds either, looking at it. I I seeing Donald as a plus one thirty, Nico as a minus one fifty. But uh I just think Cerrone, man, I don't know, like He's I've been following his YouTube channel recently and just watching his technique and his training and his mindset. Like he's got that experience, but like even I think he looks like when he's training he's got some shoulder issue. He's not being able to move it. I think the lot of the bigger fights I just I don't know, and I think Nico Price is just body frame, his fighting style, his long ranginess. I think Nico Price is gonna get a get a win and I think he's gonna get a finish.
0: Well, I mean, if that happens, it uh, could be devastating to uh, Cowboy Cerrone. So um, let's uh, let's see what else we got here. We got a, we got a bunch of late uh, replacements, so nothing, nothing that uh, we need to discuss. We do have uh, Israel Adesanya against uh, Paulo Costa next weekend that we can uh, we can discuss. Um, Contender Series is on hold right now. Uh, we we saw Jordan Williams with a, a great KO to finish things out uh, after a bit of a slow start. Um, And uh, we also have Tiago Santos and Glover Teixeira getting canceled. So, you know, a lot of little stories here and there. Um, Anything stand out to you right now? Anything you want to talk about uh, in terms of... Well,
1: what stood out to me was... uh... This weekend, too, having TJ Laramie on the card. Well, Unless yeah, that absolutely. has changed, right? No, that's he's, pretty he's on the exciting card as, for
0: us. As of the moment we're recording this, he's on the card. Uh, yeah. You know, tomorrow morning we always That's pretty interesting uh, to see. Yeah. yeah, he's a big favorite. 3-1 to one favorite against Derek Minner. And I think that's a justifiable number, given who his opponent is. No disrespect to Derek Minner. But Laramie's being hyped as a super prospect. He's 22 years old. Uh, you know, Minner's been around the regional scene. And if you look at his losses, it seems like whenever he's confronted with UFC-caliber talent, that that's where he starts to stumble.
1: Yeah, I don't know enough about him to to give a, an explanation, but I'm just excited to see someone like Laramie who's had some hype behind him. I mean, we need some Canadian talent to really emerge and start doing big things. Um, and I think he's the one at his age, his fighting style, uh, his pressure. I think he's the one that could really uh, make Canadians excited again.
0: Well, when was the last time we saw a Canadian this young get into the UFC? It's been some time. I mean, I can think of Rory was probably young. GSP was probably young. But do you think about that? And that's pretty elite company.
1: Yeah, but even I would say some of the youngest after hanging out with him, Sam Stout, I think he came in with like no experience and basically gained all of his his experience in the UFC. So I think Sam went into the UFC at like 21, I believe, 21, 22 as well. Stuck
0: around for a long time too.
1: Yeah. Another fight I'm actually excited for is uh, the Johnny Walker. Ryan fan fight I think that's going to be interesting to see
0: and, and maybe you could explain you know me. what Joe I, mean, I... I forgot to mention Johnny Walker's on the show today a little bit of a it surprise for you Oh, see alright yeah thank so you good. you reminded me
1: yeah I'm, I'm, I'm still excited about him to be honest about it so I, I guess I, I'm, I'm just... not I
0: forgot about him I no you on the definitely show.
1: not there you go
0: I'm a, uh, well, but I, I am, am excited for him in all, all honesty I just want to see if he can bounce back I mean that's for really sure. what it comes down to you, you saw his loss to uh, Nikita Krilov. Um, you saw his loss to Corey Anderson, you know, this is, this is a guy that I, I, you you look at how much, uh, how much athleticism it potentially has, uh, you just would hate to see that go to waste, but, uh, two fights in a row, you know, losing that to UFC, caliber talent you really need to bounce back from that mentally and I think that that's something he's been working on he's been with a sports psychologist um Misha Serkinov who is actually the last guy he beat is going to be in his corner him and Misha have become friends so that's kind of an interesting part of the story as well but Ryan Spann man like I I I think he's a better fighter than Nikhil Krilov, and that's who Walker just lost to
1: yeah I mean a lot of people are thinking Ryan Spann could be another guy to you know top contender very soon but what was Johnny Walker I my understanding was he was with tristar uh
0: he was with sbg for this camp he was with tristar for his previous camp against Krilov, and for this camp he uh, went to ireland and was with sbg with john kavanaugh john kavanaugh will be in his corner for this particular fight and how did
1: misha end up in the corner
0: him and misha have just forged the friendship you know like after um walker beat him you know it was during a time where misha's wife was undergoing breast cancer treatment um you know i think that they connected afterwards and him and walker became friends and uh I think Walker had asked him because the fight was in Vegas and Misha lives in Vegas to help him train and corner him once he got to Vegas. And Misha was like, I mean, you know, Misha is like the nicest guy in the world. Um, He he gladly was happy to help him. Uh, Misha just recently got cleared to start training again. So, um, you know, I think he was coming off surgery or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting to see that. You you always love to see that. Same thing kind of happened with Alistair Overeem after he lost to Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades said, hey, um, you know, I want you to come you know, train with me. And, and since then, Alistair has been training in Denver with, with blades and, and he's made that his, his basically his home away from home when he's training for fights. So, um, I think that, uh, you always love seeing that you always love seeing former adversaries get together.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was actually training with Misha's, uh, old corner, um, his Canadian team in corner yesterday. So it was nice to see his corner, Rob Santos, Matt Embry, so we were training with him, and I was kind of just asking information about him because I've been seeing Misha on Instagram, and he's looking really ripped and in shape. So I assumed something was coming up soon for him. I or think he's, he's also I, a I, beast that trains all the time and stays in good shape well, as well. Yeah,
0: Misha's obsessed with his health. Like Misha, is, Misha doesn't take days off for the, over the course oh, of yeah. a year. His like, days he's, off he's he's is a monster like biking in the
1: mountains right now. So he's, he's uh, definitely taking it to the next level.
0: Well, I mean, he—I spoke to him. I guess it was like probably two weeks ago, and he said he was working back to fighting shape. And I'm thinking, yeah, okay, like, you're you're always in fighting shape. Yeah, but uh, Tank. he's, uh, yeah, he's his recovery's coming along. He's he's back uh, back in training, so it's uh, it's nice to see because I I think uh, we we'd love to see Misha make a make a comeback. Uh, had a great win in his last time out against Jim Crute. So uh, you know, I think that uh, Misha is uh, certainly a Canadian that is still. Is, uh, is worth watching, especially when the light heavyweight division is, is really starting to shrink in terms of the talent pool. Um, all right, Joe, let's get to our interviews for this week. Uh, I always appreciate you uh, joining me next week. Um, I'm excited to pick your brain on Israel Adesanya versus Paulo Costa. you got yep. a pressure fighter in Costa coming forward, trying to take out a, a technical uh, finesse striker in Love Israel Adesanya. This is, this is the Joe Valtellini breakdown. We this need, is uh, it, yeah. This, this, this is, is the, one. the
1: one I get excited for. I'm Absolutely. ready for it.
0: Well, until then, uh, let's get to our guests. We'll start off with UFC President Dana White. Follow that up with Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, Johnny Walker. Let's not forget Johnny Walker. Hey. And Gerald Mearshart uh, to wrap things up. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Um, enjoy uh, this weekend's event. It's on TSN. Uh, you can catch TJ Laramie in the uh, Fight Pass prelims. Uh, big ups to TJ Laramie, Canadian, uh, making everybody proud. And then next weekend, you got Hakeem Dawood, another up-and-coming Canadian. Yep. So Canadian, awesome. Yeah, Canadian prospects uh, are, are coming along. So here's UFC President Dana White. Joined now by UFC president Dana White. A big day for the UFC. The biggest free agent in a long time. Michael Chandler has signed with the promotion as you announced earlier on SportsCenter. So many exciting possible matchups for him. You look at Tony Ferguson, Justin Gaethje, uh, Dustin Poirier, and of course with his wrestling pedigree, even Khabib is a fantastic matchup. Is there one specific matchup for, Fergu- uh, sorry, for uh, Chandler that you think would be uh, stand out above the rest?
2: Well, obviously he's the guy that's going to come over to Abu Dhabi on Fight Island. And, uh, uh, you know get ready, prepare, train, cut weight in case anything happens to either Justin Gaethje or uh, Habib. So, I mean, those are the two matchups you got to look at right now. Either one of those are possible if something bad happens.
0: We were looking at Tony Ferguson versus Dustin Poirier. As you mentioned, that's uh, unsalvageable right now is what you called it in terms of the negotiations, but where does that leave Tony Ferguson? Is he still competing on UFC
2: 254? No, no. Those guys aren't fighting. Listen, I leave I leave Sunday morning at 6 o'clock for Fight Island. I need guys that want to fight. You know, when, when I call you, if you want to fight, fight. If you don't, no problem. I'm not pushing anybody to fight. So, we, uh, you know how this goes, you know, especially these days. You don't want to fight, we move on and we make other fights.
0: You mentioned the potential replacement opponent, though, for Ferguson to face. What ended up happening there?
2: They, they, they went quiet on us, They, they you know. We couldn't get a fight done.
0: <laughs> All right, well, we'll leave it at that. Hamza Shemaya this weekend, one of the top prospects we've seen in a long time in the UFC. He's fighting Gerald Muirshardh at middleweight, and then he's going to go back to welterweight and face Demian Maia. Are you comfortable with the idea of him competing in two weight classes at once, or do you think he's going to need to narrow his focus to just one?
2: This is what the guy wants to do. This guy is a maniac. Um, I-, I-, I love his attitude. I love his mindset. He wants to fight all the time. I've never had a guy like this. Uh, It's fun. Listen, if he can keep winning, this is what he wants to do. And if he can keep winning, uh, I'll keep doing it.
0: Conor McGregor got into some legal issues this past weekend. Him and his camp are uh, vigorously denying the allegations. But you mentioned earlier today on SportsCenter, you're looking at some fun stuff for Conor in 2021. Is he re-engaged? Is he looking to get back into the octagon sometime soon? And uh, what
2: kind of things does he have in mind? Well, I came up with an idea a couple of days ago, and I reached out to him, see what he thought, and uh, he was interested. So we're kicking some stuff around.
0: And I'm sure you'll be sharing that idea with us right now?
2: No, well, it's, it's not done. When, when it's done, I would love to share the idea with you when it's when it's ready to roll. It's just an idea right now.
0: And you're targeting early 2021?
2: <laughs> yeah late 20 you're thinking early
0: 2021 okay um israel adesonia versus paulo costa the last time we saw two undefeated fighters go for a championship was 11 years ago when you talk about undefeated fighters at the highest level in mma is that what separates it from boxing like you don't see people with padded records end up in these championship fights you have to beat the best of the best to get there and what does it say about these two great athletes that they've been able to remain undefeated And now they go toe-to-toe one of them will leave not undefeated after this particular fight
2: Yeah, you're dead on. Couldn't have said it better myself. And, uh, you know, when you have two guys in their prime undefeated stylistically match up, so fun out of likes to stay on the outside, pick people apart. He's been knocking people out lately. Um, then on the other side you got Costa who for such a big guy, like he is physically has unstoppable cardio stays in your face pushes the pace and every punch he throws has bad intentions and he tries to knock you out. I predicted that this will be the fight of the year. um, And I can't wait for it. Obviously the the Woodley Covington fight this weekend is going to be fun. The undercard is awesome. And then I go straight to fight Island and uh, you know, I I get to see Costa versus Adesanya the the following weekend. So going to be a fun five weeks for me.
0: You couldn't ask for more for the next two weeks. Uh, you mentioned th- this particular fight and how exciting you expect it to be. The last fight that Israel had was a bit of a stalemate with uh, Yoel Romero. Costa is promising he's going to walk forward. He's going to march forward and try to take out Ades This Is this the kind of fight that he needs to get his stock back up? Obviously, that last fight didn't go the way that the fans thought it was going to, but this particular one looks like it's a
2: can't miss. Wait, which one of those two need to get their stock back up?
0: uh israel after that fight with romero it was a bit of a stalemate it, it seems like you weren't too happy with it on the night of the fight either
2: listen it, it might not have been what i expected but but listen you can't expect a, every baseball player that goes out doesn't hit home runs every night and and things like that i i would say that anisad has had a pretty unbelievable run in what he's been able to do there were tons of questions about him in the beginning what's going to happen uh You know when when he faces a wrestler he has no power he can't knock anybody out he can't do this he can't do that he's proven everybody wrong um in every one of his fights and this this costa fight is impossible not to be exciting because costa will press forward he will be aggressive he will try to knock out asanya out and uh it just this is one of those, you can, as a promoter, you can never guarantee that a fight is going to be good. But this is one of those ones that I've been calling fight of the year for a long time. And I think it's, it's almost impossible for this fight not to be great. Coming
0: event. John, uh, John Jones has vacated the title. you had got Dominic Reyes against Jan Bojovic. How much did you want to see the Jones-Reyes rematch? It seems like almost everybody had that fight going Reyes' way, and now it's not going to happen. It's kind of the one that got away, but uh, do you feel like we're not going to get to see that one ever again, or do you think there is a chance maybe we do see it down the line?
2: I don't know. I'm not even thinking about it. It, it, is, it is what it is. Um, I, I, I'm excited for this fight, and whoever becomes the next light heavyweight champion, you know, we'll, we'll roll on.
0: Ed Herman, Mike Rodriguez, a bad situation this past weekend where a referee uh, basically missed a a shot. I think it was a liver shot. Ended up saying it was below the belt uh, and completely changed the trajectory of the fight. When you talk about instant replay and how it can be implemented in MMA, if you could do that one over and you had your total say over what the rules are with instant replay, how would you
2: have liked to see that get rectified in the moment? You have to fix that. You can't have a guy win a fight by stoppage and everybody that was sitting around saw it. We have it on replay. People make mistakes, but it could be fixed right there. It has to change. Mark Ratner is fighting hard right now to 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 to, to um get that fixed and, and get instant replay here.
0: What's the ideal solution, though? Like, if if you see that it was not a below the belt shot, do you just say, okay, resume right away, get back at it? We're not stopping the fight. We're ending, you know, we made a mistake. Let's keep going.
2: Is that what the ideal outcome would be? No. If you see that it wasn't below the belt, the fight's over.
0: And you give the fight to Rodriguez and you just call it a KO? Sure.
2: Rodriguez won that fight. The fight was over. You know what I mean? And if there was anybody other than Ed Herman, one of the toughest human beings on the planet, I don't know how many guys could have recovered from that shot that he recovered from.
0: You've mentioned that what you know about the business is what I tell you about the business. So I'm going to ask you about the business right now. You've said the UFC's had a great year. Obviously, with gate being taken out of the equation and with all of the medical expenses, which revenue streams have really stepped up for the UFC, uh, where you've been seeing way above the projected amount of money come in uh, for the UFC to be able to kind of right that ship?
2: It's a great question. Uh, and, and yes, um, it, it's been a great year. You know, we were able to do what I said we would do. We'd be able to fight through this thing. We'd be able to do it safely. I knew that my staff would go. I knew that the fighters would go. And, and we've done that. And uh, I'll tell you what, at the end of the year, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what happened, tell you how we did it, and uh, I'll tell you how it went.
0: All right, Control Room, we'll mark that moment, because I want to be able to bring that up at the end of the year when I ask you about that.
2: Uh, when we saw that the, the UFC was the only, the only sport I going, you guys... I will have this conversation with you.
0: All right, well, I appreciate that. Um, when the UFC was the only sport going, are you starting to see, like, an exponential growth in, in week-over-week audience? Like, people that had just started tuning into the sport because it was the only thing going on are really sticking with it and enjoying what they're seeing?
2: Yeah, I think that a lot of people who had never given the UFC a shot before and never watched it, watched it. And how do you watch this sport and not like it, especially during the pandemic, even though there was no crowd, the fights that we put on were unbelievable. So it's kind of hard to watch this sport and not become a fan of it.
0: What do you think of the no crowd? I mean, I think it's just so visceral. It's so interesting to see um, all the shots connect. I know the announcers uh, keep saying that until you're at cage side, you don't really understand just how impactful these, these shots are. How have you enjoyed it just watching the highest of high-level fights sitting cage side with no uh, you know, crowd ambiance?
2: Yeah, it's, it's very different. Um, but, but I've had that experience for years because of the Ultimate Fighter and, and the Contender Series, but not at such a high level. Like watching... Cormier Stipe with nobody there um, and, and the list goes on and on. It's been different and it's been a very unique experience for me even, even with a guy who's seen as many fights as I have. Um, it's been fun, but I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I can't wait to get the crowd back. I miss the press conferences with the crowd. I miss the weigh-ins with, with, with the fans and I miss the fights with the fans. So the sooner the better.
0: Now, a report came out today. There's a class action lawsuit that was filed against the UFC a couple years ago with some ex-fighters uh, that it might be proceeding with uh, about classification. What can you tell me about this class action suit? What do you know about it, and, and how can it impact the sport?
2: Yeah, I don't know anything about it. I don't pay attention to that at all. I got lawyers.
0: And... Fu- <laughs> Yeah, the legal team gets paid to take care of that, I guess. But uh, uh, finally, you talk about boxing, and, and uh, The Zone had mentioned that the opponents that they thought were premium opponents for Canelo were Oscar De La Hoya, of course, Triple G, who is a premium op- opponent, and they mentioned Khabib and Jorge Masvidal. Is this the direction that boxing's going in? We also heard a report that Logan Paul might be facing Floyd Mayweather in an exhibition. Are we starting to see boxing kind of shift to um, this new, I guess, this new model where they're, they're just looking for viewers at, at any cost?
2: My philosophy on the sport of boxing has always been the same, and that sounds the same to me. Uh, It's a going out of business sale every time they put on a fight. They wanna grab as much money from you as they can and head for the hills. Nothing has changed at all in the sport of boxing, and it will not. Um, You're never gonna see the best versus the best. We, We just had this conversation, you and I. We have two young guys in their prime that are both undefeated, fighting for the title next weekend. And uh, that's what people want to see. That's what fans want to watch. Um, you, you know, these guys, are. you're always going to get few people that want to tune in for the freak shows. And, and you know, if you're zone, you're just trying to get as much money in the door as you can right now.
0: All right, Dana, thanks for this. As you mentioned, it's the main event next weekend. You've got uh, Paulo Costa, Israel Adesanya, two undefeated fighters. They both took the long road to get there. And this weekend, you've got Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, the grudge match. That's uh, on television, on free TV. Uh, pretty unbelievable stuff. Thank you for your time, Dana. really appreciate it. He's in the main event, a long-time grudge match against Tyron Woodley. It's Colby Covington. He joins us now. How do you eventually approach uh, a fighter like Tyron Woodley, uh, knowing that you've seen what happened to him in his last two fights? Had you fought him... 2 years ago you would have been considered the underdog now you're a very big favorite in this fight do you have to take a step back and make sure you're taking him seriously
3: yeah definitely i can't look at the odds to to that's not going to be Uh, reflective of what the fight's going to be like and and how close the fight could be because if I look at the odds it just looks like it's going to be a cakewalk and I'm just going to walk through him and realistically that's not what it's going to be because this is such a heated you know people saying oh he's past his time he's not past his time he's he's 38 years old Daniel Cormier is 41 years old and he just fought for a world title why aren't people saying Daniel Cormier was past his time so you know yeah he got beat his last two fights by judge's decision, but no one's finished him. And I feel like if I go finish Tyrell Woodley on Saturday night, I cement myself to get another title shot or a fight with Street Judas Masvidal.
0: Well, I will say that Nate Marquardt finished him, but that was back in Strike Force.
3: Yeah, you know, that was back in Strike Force a long time ago. And, and uh, you know, that was the guy that was also on steroids and, and cheating. And, you know, you can't really take that, that fight into effect.
0: You've been laying low uh, recently. I looked up uh, Colby Covington interviews. Usually there's a lot of them you can find, but in the last month you haven't been doing any. Why uh, Why the decision to lay low? The, Woodley's actually been doing a lot more interviews than you, which is unlike uh, the normal situation.
3: Yeah, because, you know, I got better things to do, Aaron. You know, I'm a, I'm a busy man. Obviously, I'm preparing for a Trump rally to hang out with the president of the United States. You know, I had a, a speech to do at that rally, so, you know, I was writing a speech for that. You know, I was doing other things. I was giving back to a... You know, the people that I support more, most, and that's the first responders, you know, the people that keep our community safe and, and protect our laws and, and keep law and order. And just just busy, man. I got a lot going on now, and I'm focusing on my fights, at, you know, and making sure I'm ready to go and the best I can be. So, you know, I'm happy that Woodley finally is out there acknowledging that I'm the biggest fight that he could possibly get. You know, this fight's been brewing for so long, and it's a massive fight still. And, and it's good that he's out there talking and, and making people think that, you know, he has a chance to win this fight because when I go rip his soul out of his chest on Saturday night, it's going to rip all the fans' souls out of their chests as well.
0: For this fight, have you been training uh, exclusively at MMA Masters? Where have you been doing most of your camp?
3: I've been doing this fight exclusively at Colby Covington Incorporated. You know, the, the the beautiful thing about this is that, you know, I brought in some great training coaches and and it's just exclusively for me, you know, it's not a team aspect where, you know, there's going to be feelings involved or, or fighters can go to that team and be like, oh, Kobe did this, he said this. No, no, I'm at my, my own gym. I'm at my own team, Kobe Covington Incorporated. You know, you want to direct your complaints to me. I, I'm the board member of Kobe Covington Incorporated. We have some other great guests on our board member, Candace Owens, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and and the greatest living president in the history of the United States, Donald Trump. So, you know, I have some great coaches that I acquired at uh, Colby Covington Incorporated. I have my jiu-jitsu coach, Daniel Valverde. You know, he's been a godsend. He's been the the biggest blessing that I could ever get. You know, he's he's such a diligent worker, and he actually genuinely cares about me. He wants to see me evolve as a fighter. He doesn't care about, you know, getting paid and this and that. You know, of course that's going to come, and, and I take care of all my coaches. But, you know, he, he cares genuinely about seeing my growth as a fighter, and then, you know, he helps me with judo as well, so that's been huge in my takedowns. And then my striking game is completely transformed with my new striking coach, Cesar Carnero. You know, he's been uh he's been great. You know, I'm blessed, you know, beyond belief from God because he came into my life. A guy who genuinely also cares about me. The energy is so good when we train. Like, I'm motivated to train every, every time I train, and he gets the best out of me, so... I have great coaches at at Colby Covington Incorporated, great training partners, and I'm ready to put on the best show I've ever put on, and and you're gonna see Colby Chaos Covington 2.0 this Saturday night, Aaron.
0: Do you feel like you needed more individual attention? Obviously, you know att is a factory you got tons of fighters coming in and out coaches need to book different appointments with their fighters uh in this situation i'm sure that they're on call for you for the most part you're the biggest name well obviously at colby coving covington incorporated you're the biggest name uh that uh that they have under, under their belts
3: absolutely you know i needed uh some guys that just were genuinely just there for me and, and my team colby covington incorporated uh you know, at my old gym that I was at, you know, the, it's such a big gym and there's so many fighters that there's a lot of mouths to go around that they have to entertain and, and they need to get training in with. So now that I have – it's just solely focused on me and my training camp and my development as a fighter. You know, it's just it, – it's the leaps and bounds I've made in the growth and evolution of my game is, is beyond what I can tell you with words. You're only going to get to see that Saturday night. So – you know, I'm thankful for my coaches that are part of my team now and, and the training partners that helped me in preparation for this. You know, I had Miguel Beza. He's on the card. He's been a great training partner. I had another guy, R- Richard Mayo. He's a great training partner. I had uh, Mike Lilly, up-and-comer, who's going to be in the UFC soon. He's he's a stud titan, fighting in Titan right now. And then, you know, Colin Lubbert, you know, he's been a great training partner. You know, I had uh, Greg Choplin, great uh, Muay Thai uh, world champion fighter for, you know, from France. And, you know, I just, the focus is solely on me. It's not a team aspect. It's only about me. And it's only going to be me and that octagon Saturday night. Do you feel like Dan Lambert sold you out? No, I don't think Dan Lambert sold me out. You know, he's, he's still a great friend. He did a lot of great things for me, man. He, uh, you know, he gave me an opportunity in the beginning of my career when I needed one, and you know, he helped me out a lot. So I, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Dan Lambert and the journey we've had together. And you know, he, we may I may not be a part of that team anymore, and I have my own team now. But you know, I'm still friends with Dan Lambert, and he's still cool in my book.
0: Do you and him still speak? Like, when was the last time you spoke with Dan?
3: Uh, we haven't spoken in a while, you know, it's been a couple months, uh, but, you know, I, I think we'll still have a relationship going forward, and there's no ill will towards him, I, I wish him and his team the best, but, you know, now this is about me and my team, Colby Covington Incorporated, and, and, you know, if you want to complain to my team, you know, the only way you can direct your complaints is directly to me, you know, or, uh. Jorge Street, Judas Masvidal, you you got something to say. Come say it to me. Now you can't say it to some rich billionaire like Dan Lambert. You got something to say. Come say it to me inside the UFC octagon. You've been talking all that talk. You wanted to talk in that gym, get me kicked out. You wanted the coaches holding you back. Now you got something to say. Come say it in the octagon. You know, you talked all that talk to the media. Come walk that walk. But no, he's a fraud. He's a coward. He doesn't want to see me inside that UFC octagon because he knows I'll expose him.
0: When uh, you first started, I guess, in professional MMA um, early in your career in the UFC, I guess, Tyron Woodley was pretty established. I mean, he was the strike force champion, and you were training with him uh, years ago. How did those training sessions go? I mean, w- were you guys friends at any point in time, or were you just kind of another body that helped him prepare for a fight and vice versa?
3: We were never friends. It was strictly a business relationship. Uh, a sponsor that he had that was helping me out at the time, my Lee, they they uh they they paid for my flight to go out there and and took care of my stipend to train with him because they knew that he needed a guy that could push his pace and push the cardio, so they knew I was the perfect guy for the job because you know I am the cardio king, so they want to bring the best cardio fighter that there is to help push his cardio but you know I knew the second I met him that he was fake you know and he's a cheater and he's just he's not a good person he's a he's a he's a bad human being and and you know he thinks that. He should, his, his, the ground that he walks on should be worshiped, and he should have a red carpet for him at all times. And he just thinks he's better than people. And I, I can't respect someone that thinks they're better than someone. I don't care if you're, you know, even the president of the United States, Donald Trump, doesn't think he's better than people. He actually is a genuine human being, and he treats everybody with, with respect. And, you know, he doesn't act like he's better than people. So Saturday night, I can't wait to take all of Tyrone these brain cells and send him to the retirement home.
0: Do you think that a loss to you would hurt his legacy? I mean, I asked him that earlier. He says that his legacy is nothing that's on his mind right now, but obviously you lose three fights in a row. A lot of the goodwill that you've earned as champion, uh, you had four title defenses, uh, kind of goes away. Do you feel like that's something that you can do if you get a win?
3: Uh, you know, I really don't pay attention to his legacy. I'm just worried about my legacy and, and adding another UFC champion to my resume, and that's exactly what he's going to be, is just another champion on my resume, you know, this... You know, it's it's going to be a great fight. There's a lot. This is a real beef, and we hate each other. So it's it's going to be a great fight for the fans and a great fight for the UFC on ESPN. And and uh, it's, you know, expect fireworks.
0: You win this fight. You're next in line for the title. Is that the way you view it?
3: That's the way I feel it, and I I feel like I deserve it. You know, I think that last fight with Marty Fake Newsman, There's a lot of controversy. I mean, pe- people aren't talking enough about you know the fake nut shot that I I would have finished him in the second round with that liver kick it was clearly showed on the replay that I kicked him in the liver and he would have been finished and that completely changed the momentum of the fight I mean I go from getting ready to finish him and I'm about to put strikes on him and probably finish him right there to him getting two 5 minute breaks you know for fake foul calls you know a fake eye eye poke you know I barely touched his left eye and he's, he's holding his right eye for 5 minutes straight getting a call While Mark not so goddard is Pulling me back, saying "Colby, settle down," and, and grabbing me physically, like, like what are you doing? Grabbing me? Don't touch me, man. You have no reason to touch me. I'm a professional. I'll stand back, but don't touch me and, and try and take me out of this fight and take away my momentum. So obviously the stoppage was early. I told Mark when I was on the ground, I'm on a double leg. I'm intelligently defending myself. I'm not, you know, I'm I'm fine. I'm good. Don't stop this fight. And he stops the fight. Like he doesn't let the fight go to the judges' scorecards when there's 30 seconds left in the fight, and I'm clearly still in the fight. I got clipped. But guess what? We signed up for this. This is what I signed up for. I didn't sign up to play basketball like LeBron James where he's going to, you know, he's going to freaking bow out of the game because of cramps. Or he has to put his knee on, a, on the floor because he's a soy boy and soft. No, I signed up because I'm a hard fighter and I signed up to go out on my shield. So don't let me go out on my – if I can't go out on my shield, you know, that's, that's, that's a fake ref and that's a fake fight. and There needs to be a rematch with Marty Fake Newsman.
0: Now, you said you uh, made some money on Usman's last fight against Jorge Masvidal. Do you have a feel for him versus Gilbert Burns? Do you think you you have a side in that one that you would recommend to people?
3: Who's he fighting? Gilbert Burns. Never heard of him. Are you sure his name's not Dilbert? Like the comic character? No, just like the Dilbert, you know. I I, I don't know. I never heard of that guy you said, though. I, I don't know. Don't even know about him.
0: So you don't have a great read on the fight, then? can't get a read on a fight of a guy i've never heard of i was doing some math earlier um in your last three fights um you landed i think it's more significant strikes than woodley uh, has landed in almost his entire ufc career is volume the key in this fight like is that something that you feel like you can just outpace him, outwork him uh, and is that something that you saw when you were training with him you know back in the day
3: Actually, I don't think that volume is the key in this fight because, you know, he does have an explosive right hand and he can be dangerous. You know, he's explosive and he's an athlete. So, you know, I don't think that I want to be vulnerable and, and put too many strikes together where he could counter me because that's all he's looking for. He's looking for one punch. He's not looking to, you know, get in a dog fight. He's looking to, you know, be in his comfort zone and boom, explode for one big right hand and knock you out. So I got to be smart. I got to be intelligent and... You know, that's why I have great coaches, you know, Cesar Carnero, who put together a good game plan. And we're being diligent. You know, we're we're putting our hands up. We're being very strategic with the way we approach our our pressure and the way we put our pace on him. And, you know, I I think that eventually I will finish him, but it will be at the right time. And that's what fighting is. It's just all timing.
0: All right, Colby, really appreciate it. Main event yourself, Tyron Woodley. Five rounds. And it's on TSN up here in Canada. Thanks for your time.
3: Thanks for your time, Aaron. Have a great day, man.
0: I'm pleased to be joined now by Tyron Woodley main event this weekend. It's on TSN versus Colby Covington. This particular matchup, Tyron, do you think that you need a win to help restore balance to your legacy? I know legacy is a very important thing uh, to a fighter. I don't know how much you think about that at this stage, but is that something that you're thinking about going into this fight?
4: You know, going into this fight, I'm not really taking in any additional variables. I'm not thinking about I need to beat him because people don't like him. I'm not taking in I need to beat him because, you know, I stand strongly and firmly with the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't think I need to beat him for my legacy. I need to beat him because I'm the best in the world. And I need to go out there and I need to conduct myself in a manner which I execute. I explode. You know, I don't hold back. I don't hesitate. And I move forward and I kick ass and take names. And that's why I need to beat him. And if I can focus on that alone, all these other variables are going to be taken care of by themselves. So that's my focus right now, is just beating him because I'm the best, beating him because I'm better, beating him because it's what I'm meant to do.
0: Sometimes fighting emotionally can help people, though. Uh, Do you have an example of when you fought emotionally and it did help you, and when you fought emotionally and it didn't work out your way?
4: You know, um, I don't know that I've ever been in a situation where I've had to fight emotionally, to be honest. Um, you know. I fought Robbie Lawler, and I wanted to beat him, and, and I, I wanted to win the title. It wasn't so much about beating Robbie. I like Robbie, and I was a fan of Robbie. My kids were a fan of Robbie, and my ex was a fan of Robbie. So everyone that was around me, we loved Robbie, but I had to fight him because he had the belt, and that's what my whole goal in the sport was. So I was fighting him to win the World Championship. I wasn't fighting him to beat him because I didn't like him. I love Carlos Condon To date, he's still my favorite fighter, and you know, I had to beat my favorite fighter, and it was nothing personal against him. Usman, I mean, I basically mentored a kid, you know what I mean? So it was, it was nothing nothing personal with that. It wasn't really a lot of trash. So we joked here. And I called him LL Puget, and we had some fun with it. But at the end of the day, I respected him, and he respected me. And this, that respect still was there. Um, Gilbert Burns, you know, he he literally came off a win against Damian Maya, and he did what he needed to do to get his hype train going. And he was able to be focused in 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 the octagon, execute and do his thing. So this is the only fight where I could get emotional. And I'm very thankful that this is happening now. It's happening at the right time. Because had it happened when it was supposed to happen, I was supposed to fight him in September. Um, instead of Till, I was supposed to fight him instead of Usman. I was supposed to fight him instead of Leon Edwards. I was suppo- supposed to fight him instead of Gilbert Burns. During those times with a big press conference and emotions and shit talking and getting all in each other's face, you know, maybe I would have taken myself out of who, the element that makes me the best. The the fighter that I am. The, the, the smart IQ that I have in Octagon. You know, the strategizer. It would have taken me out of that and I wanted to just whoop his ass. So now... You know, for me, it's been a blessing in the sky. spite during these COVID times that right now I didn't have a lot of that distraction. I didn't have a lot of that buildup. And like right now, everybody wants me to do all this trash talking and stuff like that. I'm better than the kid, and he knows it. And all I got to do is prove it. It's never been, it's never been a, a question on on paper who's better, Mia Gilbert, mere Kumar Usman. It's never been a question. But which version of Tyrone are we gonna see? Are we gonna see the one that beat Carlos Condit? Beat Koshchak beat Robbie Lawler. Are we going to see that version or are we going to see the one that allows certain people in the fight that shouldn't have been in the fight? So it's a blessing in disguise for me. I don't take any any um, additional stress that I don't need for this fight. Um, I'm the person that's creating the legacy. He needs me for his legacy. He needed me the entire time. Go back and look at the social media from the end of 2016 to pretty much now. Ninety nine percent of his social media is about me. He's been consumed with me. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, you don't see that on my page. You see me. You see Champ Camp. You see me training. You see me focused. And you see basically a, a mini documentary about my lifestyle and what this means to me. And now people can see the realness, and they're going to draw to that. I mean, he's having a hard time being the heel. How do you have to force somebody to accept you as the heel? You know what I mean? It's not reflected in his followers on social media. All the effort and work he puts into trying to be the bad guy, he should have 2 million followers. You know what I mean? But he doesn't because nobody believes it. and know it's all fake.
0: You mentioned that you were supposed to face him in September of 2018. So that's two years ago. Uh, ended up facing Darren Till, as you mentioned. How is Tyron Woodley back then different than the Tyron Woodley now? Because it seems like you've done a lot of work on personal growth, on uh, you know getting outside of your head instead of being in your head. How would that Tyron Woodley have approached this fight differently than the Tyron Woodley I'm talking to at this moment?
4: You know, to be honest, that fight I took personal. I took personal because it was a lot of hype behind Till and everybody was, for the first fight of my life, they were like, oh, he's older. I'm like, what? I wasn't older one fight ago. Like, now all of a sudden I'm old, now all of a sudden I'm washed up, and there's a young line coming in to take me out. And I just took disrespect. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare for that fight. I had three weeks to get ready for Darren Till, And it wasn't the most opportune circumstances in which the fight was um, set up on. And I was very, very disrespected. And I was very upset. And I needed to send a message out very loud and clear. And now I feel that and more towards Kobe towards Covington. So I feel like with that same type of energy that I brought to the Darren Till fight... With some additional growth as a person and some balance in my life, I feel like I should have an even better performance. But I'm not, I'm not going to say, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to finish. Like we, we all got to sit down two or three days before and people are going to ask us what's going to happen. I don't fucking know what's going to happen. Watch Saturday? We both going to see together what's going to happen. So I, don't feel, I feel like I'm at the point in my career where you know I'm, what I'm capable of. And you've also seen some fights that you know wasn't me. And you know I could have done more. So Saturday, we're going to watch together. We're going to see what's going to happen. But um, my mind is set on going out there and dominating, doing the best I can to go out there and just take everything away from them.
0: Were there times when you were champion that you were miserable, that you were that they were making your life difficult in terms of the UFC brass, in terms of people's expectations of you? Do you feel a lot happier now just in, in your life?
4: Um, you know, I'm not going to say the UFC brass made it miserable or, or people, but it, it definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, we— when you as a champion you envision you envision life being so much easier. And with more responsibilities that you're given, the the more pressure comes with it. You know, too much is given, much is required. And the expectation, especially when you're a champion, you know, the championship fights is, is what headlines pay per views. So if somebody's injured and somebody can't fight or something happened or somebody failed a drug test, you're gonna always be on a speed dial call, hey, we need you to fight a world championship fight, five rounds against a very tough competitor in three weeks. And you just had to be ready for that. And at times it was was very, you know, it was very toxic for my life. And, you know, you couldn't have just a regular life. And you you got to experience the bells and the whistles, the parties, the money, and all those different things. But it was probably a period in my life where I was the most empty, to be honest. Now I feel like my next run as champion, when I get back to the point where I'm fighting for the world title, winning that belt – I feel like my experience will be a little bit different the second time around.
0: Can you expand on that? You said it was the time where you were the most empty. What What do you mean by that?
4: I mean, I had everything visually, but personally, my life was freaking disastrous. I was, I had chaos in my life. Hate to use that word. Um, being that who I'm fighting, but my life was all out of order, man. I was, I was certain parts of me that I allowed to change. Because of what I thought I should have been doing at that time. And it it wasn't right. It wasn't me. And I had to regain myself for who I was. And money never made me. I grew up without money. And I've always been a solid dude from the day one. So I just was living a life that wasn't real. I was living a double life. I was just all over the place. And I separated fighting from who I was. I can do whatever I want on this side of the coin. But when it came down to fighting, I was still winning. And as long as I was winning, there was nothing that would have made me change things in my life and restructure the way that I was living. Nothing would have changed that. You know, I won four world title fights in less than a year. I mean, I hadn't lost in five years. And at that point in time, I didn't see a Kamara Usman, a Gilbert Burns, a Leon Edwards, a, a Kobe Covington beating me when I've already beaten the gorilla, the natural born killer, and someone called Ruthless. I didn't see those guys beating me. So I'm not going to say I thought it was going to be easy, but I thought my toughest competition was behind me on paper. And that mindset was very toxic for me. And it's not that I didn't train hard. I've always trained hard. My coaches will attest to that. I've always trained hard, but I didn't love it. It didn't mean the same thing to me. Now I'm back. I'm back to the point where this is my lifeline. This is what I need to be able to look back and say, I had a chance to turn this around, and I put everything into it. No, a, a, a very good businessman came to me and was like, you know, um, Tyron, you're a smart businessman. You got a lot going on for yourself, and I was just like, like you. He said, I suggest you do what you're doing, but have somebody else steer the boat right now because you don't ever want to look back ten years and know that you had the chance to finish this legacy the way that you saw it in the beginning of it, and you didn't do it. He said, "Put everything you got into this sport. Put everything you got into your training. Go out there and win all these fights in devastating fashion." And he said, "I promise you, everything that you want to do are going to be so much easier." Because I'm thinking about like the industry so flaky. When I was a belt, everybody wanted to do music with me. Everybody wanted me at their party. Everybody wanted to feature me in their film. Everybody wanted to have me on their podcast. Everybody wanted to have me at the red carpet. You know what I mean? I I, I couldn't say yes enough. But it's funny, you lose one one fight lose two fights and then it's, it gets quieter and that just shows you this industry is very fickle it's very fair weather it's not unconditional
0: yeah you, you can say that again with mma <laughs> they, they chew people up and spit them out it's like it's like the running backs in the nfl but uh, I, yeah. I do want to ask you one uh, one last question like do you have one single regret that if you could go back and change during your championship run you would change i'm not talking about you know obviously you would want to go back and beat kamaru uzman but is there one single thing that you regret that you feel could have um, really changed the way things went?
4: I don't regret anything. I think everything is a part of the plan. I think my story has never been from A to B. It's always been some some roadblocks in between. It's always been me getting off track and detour and coming back. I think um, the biggest piece of my story is is how I dealt with adversity. And if you know me and you know my story, you know that I've had a lot of adversity in my life and I've always had to deal with it. So I don't regret anything. I don't regret the millions of dollars I fucking spent. I don't regret all the fun I had, I don't regret, you know, um, the decisions I made. And I, I needed those things because now I'm at a point right now where it all makes sense. It's all kind of surface right now. And for me, it's just a situation where, you know, we can't just have a perfect life. We can't just have everything go great for us. You got to have some things in life that, that shake you, you know, to the core where you got to address yourself. And I'm proud of myself on uh, how I answered, you know what I mean? How I answered when. But I could just say, okay, I can retire. I've had a great career. I don't have to keep fighting. I got so many other bags that people don't know about. You know what I mean? People tell me, oh, my God, you should see You shouldn't be focusing on movies. It's hard to say when I go to the mailbox and then one day I'm pulling out $10,000 in residual checks. You know what I mean? I made more money in film than Kobe probably made in his whole career. So, therefore, you can't tell me that if God gave me a gift not to do it. But I know my legacy was not losing to Gilbert and Camaro and then finishing. I know that wasn't the way God painted it for me. So yes, it's a little bit more difficult. Yes, coming from the consolation side, being on the championship side. But what what a story would that be when Tyron Woody comes back and he beats Kobe Covington and he comes back and he beats. Kamar Usman or Gilbert, whoever has a belt, that he regains his championship when everybody said he was too old, when everybody said he couldn't do it, when everybody said he lost lost fucking track of where he was at and he became too Hollywood, he came and proved everybody right that supported him. See what I said? I don't have time to to prove the people wrong, you know what I mean? But I do have enough time to prove the people right that do support me.
0: Well, you're my age, so in my, in my eyes, you're a young man. So I appreciate your time. Thanks for your honesty, Tyron, uh, and really nice. appreciate watching your journey and uh, you continue to chug along and persevere through anything that you've been through uh, inside or outside the cage. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm now joined by Johnny Walker, who will be facing uh, Ryan band this weekend at UFC Fight Night in Las Vegas. Uh, you're out by the pool. Are you enjoying yourself in Vegas? Of course. Take some sun. Try to come back my turn because I was in Ireland. <laughs>
5: So much rain there, not 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 very good. They have sun, you know, but you have to wake up with the sun. But the sun is going very fast.
0: <laughs> well, we uh, we always appreciate your time. I, I want to talk to you about your cornerman uh, this weekend. It's a former opponent of yours, a fellow Canadian like myself, uh, Misha Surkinov. Uh Tell me about how you and Misha kind of forged the friendship after uh, you guys had fought and in, uh, in the past.
5: Yeah, yeah, well, we ju- You know, we are very professional, and we just fought. And after that, I really supported him because his wife was having cancer, you know, so make a treatment and I support them, you know, and he sent some good energy. Then after this, we became friends. So I asked him to help me for this fight week and he said 100% sure. So we are here. We trained like twice already this week and we're gonna train again. He's gonna be in my corner as well. So everything, I make friends around the world, it's the business.
0: You mentioned making friends all over the world. You're kind of nomadic when it comes to training. Do you know what nomadic means?
5: Mm, no. <laughs>
0: well, a nomad is somebody who travels around a lot to a lot of different places. So when I say you're nomadic, I mean you you go from camp to camp to camp. Are you looking for a little bit more stability in your career? Hundred percent. Now you know because when you when you keep jumping around around
5: gyms, you don't keep, um, uh, I'd say, constantly. You know. Because I don't, have, I don't give time enough to the coach to help me to improve, to fix my my mistakes, my holes in my game. So it's, I would like to stop, to jump around and be more consistent with, with the team, you know. Then I can improve myself. Then I have, can give time for the coach to, to help me to improve myself. And I can be more focused, you know. So this is my plan next. But, you know, you, cannot, you can't have, like, you can really make plan with this corona because you cannot fly everywhere. A lot of restrictions still. But uh, I would like to, to be part of the team, you know, and stop somewhere somewhere soon.
0: You have a girlfriend in Ireland. There, is, you're looking to make that your home base and, and stay with SBG full-time?
5: Yeah, yeah. My girlfriend's from Ireland. She actually lives in Qatar right now. I, I met her in Thailand last year, but she's from Ireland. And she in Qatar because she works. She's a prime school teacher. But we plan to move together to Ireland. Then she can work and I can train, you know, but, you know, <laughs> it, I hope my plan can keep work, but you never know with this corona, you know.
0: Well, I hope so too, Johnny. It's uh, always nice to see uh, you get some good training. I- I'd love to see some stability for you because you're such a fantastic athlete. Now, I do want to ask you about a video on YouTube that you posted of you dancing. How did you learn to dance like that?
5: Uh, before I start martial arts, I just start on the gym doing some weights, and I have like a judo class, Muay Thai class, and dance. So I start dance before martial arts. So I did like two years dance lessons, then I start on Muay Thai, then Jiu Jitsu, then I become a professional MMA.
0: You know, people like seeing people jump from division to division. I'd like to see you and Israel Adesanya not fight, but have a dance-off.
5: Of course, we can book something in the the future.
0: Well, I'm talking to him next week. I'll try to set it up. Uh, So what what can you tell me about Ryan Span, your opponent? Uh, Comes from a very good camp uh, in Dallas. Uh, What what do you know about him and, and have you watched his fights?
5: Yeah, you know, really good guy, really good prospect. And he's young, he's tall, strong. Like, you know, he deserves to be like me on the top 15. Now, every fight i going to have is going to be re- really tough because just have very tough guys, really good guys there. So I'm really glad because I like to fight against big prospect, good guys Then can test myself and prove that I'm ready to, to be a champion on this. So I'm really glad that UFC booked this fight for me. And I'm happy to, to fight against this guy because he's really strong, he's tall, you know, have good box, good wrestling, but I still his game, and I know how to beat him.
0: You've done it before, but you you have to bounce back from losses now. Does that stay in your head? Is it hard to get out of your own head when it comes to losing and and trying to get better? Like when you're back in the octagon after a loss, uh, is there a mental barrier you have to kind of get over?
5: No, it's, it's okay, you know, it's the part of the process. Yeah, I have to learn it one way or other, but I learned already enough from losses Now, if I have something to learn, I hope I can learn from my good
0: Do you miss the feeling that you get when you win? Is that something you think about when you're laying in bed? Yeah, no, now I have enough losses you know. I'll come
5: back straight for my win. And I'll come back to my way. I do everything properly, good computer and good diet my mind's in the right place, I have good people around me, so everything's perfect.
0: So what's your corner going to look like this weekend? It's going to be Misha and John Kavanaugh?
5: Yeah, Misha, John Kavanaugh and Dave. Both coach from Ireland, and my,
0: my Misha Sekhna, my friend. It's good timing, because Misha, I think, was just recently cleared to start training again, so you get to, you get to maximize your training with him.
5: Yeah, of course, so we train together, he's a really strong guy, good prospect as well, so he helped me a lot to him this week. And I hope everything's been good on my corner.
0: Now you're from Brazil, but uh, does he have better submissions than you? Would you would you say that his grappling game is better than yours? I don't understand, sir. Again, you're from Brazil, but he's he's from Canada. But would you say that his BJJ is as good as yours? Who has the better BJJ between you and uh, you and Misha? He's very good with submissions. Very tricky.
5: Yeah, I know. I'm brown belt. In Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I don't know which belt. I'm gonna ask him. I forgot to ask. But he's a good, good grappler, you know. And we didn't train prop just just grappling, because the, when I arrived, we just do some rounds, you know, specific training. So I can I can tell you how how good he are on the ground game. But he's really good, strong guy. So yeah, that's it.
0: Now, before I let you go, I want to ask your perspective on the uh, title fight that's coming up. Uh, not this weekend, of course, you're fighting this weekend, but the following weekend. You've got uh, Jan Bojovic, Dominic Reyes, vacant title. Uh, how do you see that one going? Yeah, man, both really good fighters, you know. You can expect everything that
5: can happen during the fight because this fight you can predict something because both guys really good guys, really good uh, fighters, you know, good perspective. And uh, I just want to watch and see what's going to happen next. Then I can be prepared because these are the guys that I want to fight on, on the future. You know, so.
0: Who would you match up better against, Dominic or uh, Jan, in your opinion?
5: Uh, I would like to fight uh, Dominic Reyes,
0: you know. Yeah, Dominic's an excellent fighter. Did you think that he beat John Jones in that last fight? Uh I think he, he, he was doing real
5: really good well good job but on the last two rounds he stopped to 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 do his job, you know. He just think he's won by point and he starts to control more the fight. I think he keep fighting like strong strong fight, you know, keep doing his job. He he should won this that fight, but he just stopped on the last two rounds and it's not enough to beat the champion. You know?
0: All right, Johnny. Well, always appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck against Ryan Spann, and I uh, hope to speak with you again soon.
5: Thank you very much.
0: And I'm now joined by Gerald Mearshart. You know, we usually talk about music here, but instead we're going to talk about fighting. Is that okay with you? You're good?
6: Well, I guess we can do that
0: this one time. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, so when Hamzat Shemaya fought, I made the argument that this guy should be put in the welterweight rankings. Because I just didn't think there was any other way that someone would accept a fight with him because it just doesn't seem like a very um, win win proposition. However, if you need somebody to fight someone, you call Gerald Mearshard. You've accepted the the, uh, the fight with Khamzat Shemaev. So when they called you, was there any hesitation on your part?
6: No, none whatsoever. You know, I was already scheduled to fight previously, September 12th, and complications came up with that. And really, I was like, you know, as long as I got one more week to train, I'm fine with it.
0: You know, with Khabib, that's the comparison they always make with Hamza Shemaev. And they always say with Khabib, no matter how hard you train, you know what Khabib's going to do. No matter how hard you train for him, uh, it's very difficult to defend that. However, the one thing with Khabib is you've never seen him... The reason why the Ferguson fight was so intriguing all the time is you, you never saw him face people that have really good ground skills in terms of submissions and things of that nature. Now, people say Khabib has never tapped in practice, but as we know, practice and in cage are two different things. Do you think that this is a risky fight for Shamayev in that sense? Because A, he's a lot greener than Khabib. He does possess similar skills. Uh, And B, you can threaten from just about anywhere.
6: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. You know, he fights very, very similarly, almost the exact same style. I'd say that uh, Shamayev even goes for submissions a little more frequently than Khabib does. Like, he'll look for chokes and stuff like that, but... And it's not that Khabib hasn't fought any guys that aren't good at jiu-jitsu, but they get sucked into this thinking that they have to get away or they have to not get taken down. You know, do I want to get taken down? No, I want to make him uncomfortable. And, like, he's going to have to work for it if he gets it. But if he does take me down, I'm not opposed to being on the ground. Like I said, I can submit people from anywhere. So I'm not going to try and, like, build up to my hands and knees or referee's position and work up against the cage and just play into his game and you Know, let him feel good and hold me against the fence or the floor. I'm if we go to the mat and I go to my back, I'll control wrists, I'll look for submissions, and you know, I'll look to make him question what he's doing to better my situation.
0: What did you think of the first two performances? They were obviously great, um, but in terms of the middleweight that he beat, John Phillips is a short, stocky guy, you're a, a big middleweight in terms of your height. Uh, and I'm sure you'll outweigh him by probably about 15, 20 pounds on the night of the fight, given that he's a more natural welterweight. Um, Did you like his performances, and do you think that he's going to be able to implement the game plan like the one he has against a much bigger individual like yourself?
6: Yeah, so I saw both fights. The first one, it doesn't really tell you anything. He fought a lightweight, really, that came up to welterweight for a short-notice fight and clearly didn't belong in there with him. right? And then the second guy, and not only is Phillips is tough if you stand and trade with him right he's am sure his ground is okay you know he's probably going to beat most local guys or something with his skills but it's a different thing when you get in there especially against somebody who wants to do that one thing and does do it pretty well so I don't you know think that those two fights are any indication of how our fight's going to go
0: And um, when you have fought in the past, when you fight uh, an opponent that's going to get you to that next level, that's going to uh, put you up into the rankings, it seems like there's always something that goes wrong. Now, is there something that you have done to work on, on, I guess, your mentality going into a fight? Uh, What do you think it was that uh, caused those instances?
6: Uh, For me, a big thing has always been uh, the mental part of it. You know, I... Uh so the first big step up I had was Santos and that one, you know, I think there's definitely ways I could have won, but I just ran into a big, scary guy and I gave it what I got. And, you know, that one, I made some mistakes and could have fought a little bit differently, but it was what it was. And I fought Hermanson, you know, I wasn't there mentally. I got in there. I like felt pretty, pretty terrible. And that, you know, now I... I kind of know why it had nothing to do with like the physical training or anything about that. But again, that's part of the game. you got to figure that stuff out for yourself. And then, obviously, I had a chance to crack the top 15 in my very last fight, made a mistake, and got caught. That's how it goes. You know, I don't try to hold on to those things, but I understand what happened and why. And I think I've done everything to fix that going forward to this fight, and I think I'm going to be the best version of myself ever.
0: Is it good to lose? I mean, it's a weird question. Shamayev's undefeated. Uh, and he gets the hype as a result of that, but I mean, obviously nobody likes losing, but is, i'm sure that you learn a lot more from losing than you do from winning.
6: uh I don't know if you've learned more necessarily but and i don't I would never say it's good to lose, especially like a professional fight, right, but I will say this, everybody loses, whether or not you lose on your professional record, you know in some way, shape, or form, in practice in other ways everyone loses It's just where and when, right? Like a lot of guys that come up undefeated, you know, a good buddy of mine, Ben Ashford, he was on a long undefeated streak. But before that, you know, you go and watch his story, even for wrestling and stuff, he had lost a ton when he had very first started wrestling as a kid and then he got better and then he made that jump to college and he started losing right away in college really bad. And then he made an adjustment and got better. So for anybody, you know, even the top of the top guys in life, you have to make adjustments. I've stumbled more than most, you know, but not as many as some. I'm still where I'm at and I'm not mad about that, but it's just instead of getting mad or put down about, you know, the losses, like you said you got to learn from them, pick yourself up, figure it out and keep going.
0: When did you find out that he was going to fight Demian Maia as well? Like what what I know that you just recently found out about taking this fight. But when did you find out that they're also looking to book him, I guess, a month or two later, uh, I guess it's one month later, against Demian Maia?
6: Pretty much as soon as I found out about the fight itself. Because, like, pretty much as soon as they were, I think I found out, like, the day before the internet found out. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I see, like, oh, he's going to fight this, you know. Wasn't even much mentioned to me, right? It was more like... He's going to fight Fighter X, and then he'll fight Damian Maya And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm just the guy that he fights first. Cool.
0: Well, I mean, I mentioned that I think it's pretty disrespectful, but when I took a little bit of a step back, this is a guy who wants to fight in two different divisions, um, and he's fought two opponents close together. Now, the only real disrespect, I think, when you break it down is that they think he's going to be healthy enough to fight again that shortly after. I mean, if he was, if they said, well, he's going to be fighting Gerald nearshart and then he's going to be fighting... I don't know, who's a guy that's like a top 10 middleweight, uh, if you want to throw a name out. like That, that to me, would be a a bit of a slap in the face. But going and fighting another guy at 170, I guess you can justify it in that sense, that he wants to fight in two different divisions. But, like I said, the disrespect is that they think this guy's going to be okay enough to fight Demian Maia that soon after he faces you.
6: Right, and that was my whole thing, because... You know they've said before they've laid out plans for guys like oh if he wins this one he gets a title shot if he wins this one then maybe it's one more or you know they'll target fights out past different fights but like you said they named the person and the place and really really soon after he's supposed to fight me if it was like oh if he gets through Gerald then he'll fight Damian Maya but they didn't just say that they said or like if he gets through Gerald he'll possibly fight in november which would still be like man it's only a month away but it's like he'll fight this guy on this date in this place like that is nuts
0: yeah, you don't see that very often. I mean, we, we there are some people that are booked twice right now. I think like John Allen, like he's a light heavyweight, is booked twice because he wanted two fights. But it's not like he's booked against one guy and then a guy that they consider to be maybe a step up in the next fight. It just happens to be uh, that they want to book him twice. Now, I don't know if comes out staying in Las Vegas for a certain amount of time and they want to make sure that he gets two fights while he's there and that's why they're doing this. But uh, I think coming out with it is the, the really disrespectful part.
6: Yeah, I mean... I- you know, to be fair, if I'm Dana White and I got this guy who, like, looks looks like could be talks kind of like could be fights just like him, but he also fights all the time. And, he like, people are clinging to that, like, oh, man, it's so nuts. He wants to fight all the time. There's a ton of guys that want to fight it all, all the time. There are a ton of guys that want to bounce back between weight classes. If you give them the right opponents, you can do it. Like, he had, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better two matchups to fight back-to-back as far as, like, longevity and being able to do it and all that stuff he took you no know, damage because they were the perfect matchups for him but they gave him the opportunity and he ran with it which is good on him and then if i'm dana i'll be like oh yeah let's keep running with this we got hype behind it you know not many other guys can talk that well right now you know one of the welterweight champion couldn't you know interview his way out of a wet paper bag and then the only other guy that talks that well is colby and then masvidal they you know want to push him for a title shot. but now he's talking about Fighting one of the Diaz brothers again, which is like the really the only interesting thing I really see going on right now, other than you know my guy Tyron fighting Colby. So it is what it is.
0: So who who did you say you couldn't interview the, their way out of a paper bag? Usman. Yeah, Marty. <laughs> Usman's not. He's not a bad interview. He's a. He's an honest guy. He's
6: honest and he's nice, but he's not interesting as that. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna be the greatest ever I'm gonna be the world's weight champ, of the best of all time. I wanna have super fights, like every single time. Like, dude, show a little personality. just once in a while. You don't have to pretend you're LL Cool J every single time you do an interview. You've
0: been hanging out with Woodley and Aspirin too long. These guys have indoctrinated you into this anti Usman cult. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you find me one person that's like, Oh yeah, I saw Marty Usman interviews at and I think he's very engaging, and that's what makes me want to watch him. What a person.
0: Well, I, I want to watch him because I think he's a fantastic fighter. I mean, this is, this is a dominant champion. Usman's barely been challenged in the UFC.
6: Exactly. And what did you say there? Because he's a dominant fighter, not because of his interviews. This is, you know, being able to fight really good is one thing, but you still got to be engaging in some way, shape, or form. And I'm not saying he's a very dominant champion. He's a very good fighter. But you either got to be starched people, or you got to know how to talk a little bit. And he's not doing either of those things.
0: Uh, well, fair enough. I mean, he's that that fight against Colby was a good fight. It, that was a that was a pretty solid affair. And I mean, uh we'll see how he does. That, it. I mean, he, he dominated Masvidal. I mean, that was a dominant performance.
6: it uh, wasn't that exciting though? The uh, Masvidal made it exciting in certain points, but overall, it wasn't super super thrilling. The Col- Colby one. There's an asterisk next to that one. That was a a good, exciting fight. They stood and traded. I like that one. But otherwise, I stand by my statement.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's tough, though. When you watch dominant fighters, a lot of the time, it... Like, George St-Pierre wasn't an entertaining fighter for the most part. I mean, if you watch George St-Pierre's fights back, but everybody seems to gravitate towards him. Like, him and Usman, I mean, they're similar fighters. When, When he was on The Ultimate Fighter, I said to Faraz, I saw Faraz when Usman was on The Ultimate Fighter, and said, this guy reminds me of GSP, and it ended up being... Uh, you know, they do end up having similarities, I would say.
5: Yeah,
6: I'd say so. And, you know, that's, I don't know what it is. Just, you know, GSP does, he's the, the super, super nice guy, but I, for some reason it works for him. Uh, you know, I, I believe him way more. Not that I don't think that Usman's not a nice guy. I mean, I know we, I know mutual people that know him and no one's ever had a problem with him. but it just, I don't know. He sounds corny. Uh,
0: How did I end up in a debate? How did I end up in a debate with a middleweight about Usman? And then, like, now you're trashing this guy. You don't even want to. You would never go down to 170 to fight Usman.
6: (laughs) Not a day in my life, never. Ever. You, you asked. Hey, look. I, I honestly don't really care. I'm not a welterweight. You asked me my opinion. I gave it to you. There you go.
0: Well, okay. I appreciate that. Well, uh, who do you think wins between Reyes and Jan Boachovitch then?
6: Oh, uh, i go with Reyes, just because he's a little little more athletic. They're both really big dudes, but I think he's got the, the speed advantage, and that'll really help for him.
0: What other weight class can I ask you about? Do you think Cody Garbrandt's going to be able to beat Davis and Figueredo?
6: I think so. I think he looked good in his last fight. Um, I don't think he's going to be scared about Figueredo trying to come in and bully him. And I think, too, that if you're going to fight uh, Cody as— as long, right, like, he can get drawn into a, a frenzy, right? And then he kind of sometimes can leave his – he's even said that he'll leave his chin up and they will start swinging for the fences. But that's why we love him. You know, he puts people to sleep. But sometimes if you're going to fight that way, you got to, you know, put yourself in some danger. However, uh, Figueredo likes to come forward a lot, which gives you more chances to get stuck. You know what I mean? So hopefully Cody times that right, makes him fall on his sword. And just like we saw with his last fight, of course, he was backed up against the cage, but you got someone who's constantly coming forward. You've got to be able to navigate those punches. And when Cody's on, he's got really, really good down-the-middle control to set up you know, big rights, big hooks, and stuff like that. So I think he'll do really well.
0: And uh, what about the middleweight title fight? That's coming up very soon. Uh, Adesanya and Costa. Do you have a feel for that one?
6: Uh, I would, If I had to make a bet, I would think that Izzy would win uh, probably by decision. He could, he could at least stumble him if not stop him, because again, Costa like is gonna come forward. We know he's gonna come forward, and if you run into something you're not ready for, because you know he kind of, he's a huge dude, so he can take a lot of punishment. But if he just lumbers forward and eats a bunch of punches, eventually one of them is gonna catch him that he doesn't see coming, and that's what Adesanya does best is setting traps and hitting you with things that you don't see. So I think he's got a really good shot at that one. However. Uh, Costa's neck starts at, like, the top of his ears, so getting his head to snap enough to, like, knock him unconscious is going to be a really tall order.
0: Yeah, I have no clue, no clue how that fight's going to go. I mean, I, I would think that Izzy's going to be able to find a way to beat him based on technical striking. I mean, it's going to be a striking bout, and when you look at the high-level kickboxing resume of, of Israel, I mean, it's, it's tough to see him losing a fight like that, but Costa's like a, Costa was, is just going to move forward for five rounds, and uh, I was pretty impressed with his cardio in the Romero fight.
6: Yeah, oh, I was, yeah, they they both, man, that was a little scary to watch, (laughs) especially because I'm a middleweight watching that, like, oh, great, I might have to fight one of these guys, sweet. But I think another big factor in that one is going to be if they use the small cage or the big cage for
0: that fight. May I ask you a weird question about regional Wisconsin MMA? Please. So, in your second fight, as a professional, you lost to a guy named Jay Ellis. Now, Jay Ellis, do you know Jay Ellis.
6: Yes, I know Jay Ellis.
0: So his record is like 15 and like 80 or something. And I, I sent him a message on, on Facebook because I want to interview him. I want to know what compels Jay Ellis to continue fighting. He's on like a 17 fight losing streak or something along those lines. So like, what can you tell me about the psyche of Jay Ellis?
6: He was just collected checks, man. He was just out there fighting. I, I think it was something that he found he could make money doing on the weekends. You know, it used to be where... You'd have guys like that where they didn't care if they win or lost, and you know, sometimes I'm not saying you take a dive, but you would take the easy way out to not get injured so you keep fighting. You know, back in the day you could fight Friday, Saturday, possibly even Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you know, make a quick, you know, nine hundred bucks or something if you got three hundred a pop, maybe. If they you know need opponents to come from places and it's not a bad little weekend.
0: Can you tell me anything about that fight? Like your second professional fight. Obviously you're a way different fighter now you've made it to the UFC, you're beating top level guys. But what can you tell me about the, the fight yes. against J. Ellis? Uh,
6: so I sucked really, really <laughs> bad. Obviously, I lost. Um, I had been training for like two months, and I had never done anything before. So uh, the fight before, I saw one of my teammates beat him. He shot a double leg, took him down, and then J. Ellis kind of folded up. Um, I didn't know how to shoot a double leg, so I just kind of bent over at the waist and ran at him. And he got a hold of my neck. And... I didn't know what to do from there, but you know, I wasn't gonna look for a way out. So I just sat there until I got choked unconscious. So and then I learned how to that a guillotine is a very real thing and dangerous. And if you don't know how to shoot properly, you can get put to sleep.
0: Is that the first time you've ever been put to sleep by a submission?
6: Uh, at the time, it probably was, yeah.
0: It's interesting because I I went and looked at Jay Ellis' resume. and He's fought like so many different names, like people that you named you recognize. And then I got to your name, and I was like, I'd love to know about this fight because, like I said, this was like two thousand seven or something. So I'm not. It's certainly not an indictment of your skills now, but right. knowing Jay Ellis' resume, it stuck out to me as an interesting thing.
6: Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing is too, like he's fought a lot of pretty good people, and he's one thing I will say for him, at least back in the day, he was really really tough for like the first two or three minutes like he would come at you with everything he didn't care i i think hopefully i'm remembering this right maybe uh there was a show adrenaline back in the day boss was commentating on it and we had another one of my teammates fighting on there but jay ellis i could be mistaken i feel like it was rory markham he was fighting it was somebody of that caliber if it wasn't him um and he came at him and he was winning like the first couple minutes. Like Jay was way undersized, but he just came at him super crazy. Was landing strikes, doing all kinds of stuff. And the the other guy eventually won, but he gave him all he could handle for about the first <laughs> first minute, two minutes. It was. It was something to see. But yeah, so he, that's the one thing he had for going for him.
0: Well, if you have his number, flip it to me. I'd like to speak to the man. But uh, yeah, Adrenaline MMA, that was uh, Monty Cox's promotion. And Tim Sylvia left the UFC uh, after uh, being champion for like, he made like $750,000 fighting on Adrenaline MMA. And I think they did two or three events. Right. Look at that. Look at, look at my MMA history, Gerald. That was, that, was a, that was a pretty good pull right there. Adre- the knowledge of Adrenaline MMA. That's how you know that um, this man is for real when it comes to knowledge of MMA.
6: Yeah, that's some deep (laughs) track
0: right there. Uh, So one other thing I want to ask you about, you are from, uh, is it pronounced Racine, Wisconsin? Yes. So that's a neighboring city of Kenosha, and we know what's going on right now um, in Kenosha, Wisconsin, as well as around the country. And I I heard your interview with Ariel Hawana. You wrapped it up by saying Black Lives Matter. And I'd love to hear what your perspective is on this as someone coming from that region. Um, Obviously, the state of Wisconsin does have um, issues like this in the past. Um, when it comes to how police officers um, have treated you know, the public. You even look at the um, uh, Making a Murderer, I believe it's called, with Stephen Avery. That's another uh, part of Wisconsin. Um, so uh, tell me about what your take on this, and if you have any insight on this that uh, you might want to share with people uh, as someone who came up in Wisconsin.
6: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm i not an uh, expert in, you know, any policing, politics, urban development, any of that stuff. But I do know that Milwaukee is one of the more segregated places in the country and, you know, Racine and Kenosha kind of follow suit to a degree. Um, but, you know, that I think the the biggest thing I could say is because obviously, like, I, so I end, ended the interview with Black Lives Matter and I, I truly believe that they do matter. And I feel like if you get upset by hearing that, it's like they're just saying matters not better or anything else. Right. Um, as far as the movement itself, like the organization, I don't know anything about that. I have nothing to do with that. I just, you know, I have a lot of the friends and guys that I consider brothers that, you know, are African American that I care about and I don't want to see them get hurt. So I think, you know, I don't know if defunding the police is necessarily the best idea. I think changes need to be made for sure. Uh, maybe implementation of different or more training or something, but something's got to change no matter what bottom line, you know, get to know people that don't look like you. If you know someone that doesn't look like you, I think it'll make a big difference because a lot of people, you know, different parts of the country are very homogenous, right? So when they see something like this happen, they say, Oh, you know, subconsciously even they don't know anybody that looks like that. So they don't can't relate to it. It doesn't affect them. When I see that, I see one of my, you know, really close friends. I see Mike Biggie Rhodes. I see JP St Louis. And I don't want that to happen to those guys ever. And I want them I don't want it to happen to them. I don't want it to happen to their family members. I don't want them to have to worry about it. So I think if we all just get to know each other a little bit better, start a dialogue. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's gonna be messy and that's fine. But the more people you know that don't look like you, the more you can empathize with them. I think we're all gonna be better off.
0: And further to that, ask them what they've experienced. Because I'm sure that if you hear about an experience you've had that's been different from an experience that they've had um, and and the treatment that they've gotten, you'll understand a little bit more and empathize more as to what this is all about. Because I, I feel like people are kind of ignoring the core issue and trying to make this into a right versus left issue. When people forget, Colin Kaepernick, when he took a knee, Obama was the president. Like, this isn't a right versus left issue. It's, I call it a right versus wrong issue. But I think that, like you said, it's important to, learn about people's stories and learn about what they've gone through and how it's different from what you've gone through to kind of understand the root of the issue.
6: Exactly. Completely disarm yourself. Don't go into it with any type of agenda or, you know, people are going to have their biases. That's fine. Get to know somebody as a person first, right? Your political ideology does not, necessarily have everything to do with who you you are as a person. So get to know them as a person. What are their likes? What are their dislikes? They'll start opening up. You know, why do you feel that? That was my big thing. Have empathy. Okay. There's so many people saying they feel this way. Right. So let's look not just at statistics and stuff, but like what, what is happening to you that makes you feel like this? And then for me, I've lived in areas, you know, urban areas where I've seen it happen. So I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a real thing. And heard so many experiences where it hasn't happened to me, but I've either seen it or I've heard about it enough where you can't just make this stuff up. So, you know, it's got to, it's got to go both ways.
0: So right now you are in um, St. Louis, you're training with uh, Tyron Woodley, who's got a fight coming up in two weeks against Colby Covington, a mutual friend of yours, from what I understand. Uh, And how's that training been going?
6: Uh, it's been going really well. You know, I was with him for the Robbie fight. I was with him for the Darren Till fight. He looks just as good, if not better, than he did for those fights. And uh, speaking of which, I mean to cut it short, but I got to get going to training. So I'm going to have to let you go here pretty soon.
0: No problem. Well, you didn't pick up me calling Colby Covington a mutual friend of yours and Tyron Woodley. I figured you would have had a, cl- a clever response to that. But I will let you go. I appreciate your time, Gerald. Uh, thanks for this. Best of luck against Kazmat Shemaev. Um, it's a matchup I think everybody's very intrigued uh, about because if you look at, like you mentioned, the caliber of opponent that he's fought so far, I don't think it compares to you. I think that that's going to be a really exciting fight, and uh, I think that uh, it's really cool you took that one. Put some respect on the name, Gerald Mearshart. Uh Thanks again for your time.
6: Hey, I I appreciate it. And again, Tyron's my guy. I didn't even hear you say Colby Covington. That that name doesn't exist to me. So there you go. Oh. Still got it. <laughs> <laughs>